It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. I think he's lying about the cartilage tear, too. I think they're lying. I think What? I, I don't know. It's like, oh, and Beep may not play. Now all of a sudden he's going to play game one? <laughs> I, think, I think they made it up. I'll tell you right now. I think that they, I'm telling I think you right now. He looks really good. I think they're overplaying it because they were acting like, oh, my God, I don't know if he's going to play. Oh, he'll play game one. He's fine. What? They hit us with the old okie doke. Wow. Yeah. NBA playoffs. Questions about the Mavs front office. Tim Cato of The Athletic joins us to talk about it. And Harrison Barnes joins us to talk NBA his social justice efforts, and to play Take Survivor. It's Take Line right now. I'm Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go! Jason, we had another, yet another, good weekend of NBA basketball. Just so you guys know, as we record this, the Nets and the Bucks are tied in the series. Shock! Shocker alert. A real shocker alert. My Hawks are down 2-1, but Uh-oh. they play tonight in Philly. I'll be in the building, so we shall see what happens with that. Clip City is also trying to come from under a 2-1 lead from the Jazz. But do it again. the story of the day, the week, the everything are the Suns sweeping the Nuggets. How about Chris Paul, man? I mean, there were MVP chants from the fans. The Phoenix team had pandemonium when they arrived back home. What are your thoughts? Did you think that they would... Actually, I almost predicted this, Jason. You remember? I you almost did. said they were going to get swept. And I'm like, let me not be so aggressive. Uh, we both, to, to our credit, just to toot our own horns, we both beep, picked beep. We both picked the Suns to win. Uh, I did, I, same as you. I, I had too much respect for the Nuggets to think that it would be like this, but it indeed was like this. And as you noted... Chris Paul, the engine behind yeah. a lot of what happened. Uh, listen, can't can't ignore uh, Devin Booker's uh, like emergence as a top tier playoff scorer, and DeAndre Ayton ba- basically like evolving before our eyes. But Chris Chris Paul, like as my friend Zach Harper said, uh, maybe maybe the Nuggets should have just put somebody like on the elbow and not guard Chris Paul, but just guard the spot. Like, because he's just getting to that spot and hitting fadeaway after fade, like hit six mid-range jumpers in the third quarter of game four. And, you know, the irony of of Chris Paul taking the uh, the shot that has been reviled in the modern NBA game and uh, and using it to dismantle the Nuggets it should not be lost on anybody. Uh, well, incredible game. In the first half, Jason, he had 12 points in the whole first half, talking about Chris Paul. In the third quarter alone, at a certain point, he was 5 for 5, had 10 points right away. And to your point, that shot that Chris Paul is making mm-hmm. a lot, Trey Young is getting all he can eat in that same area. It's that area that you're talking that about floor. where 
It's threes or it's layups. That in-between mid-range game is almost like it doesn't exist. Defenses aren't ready for it. Trey Young lives in that whole area. That's where he throws the alley-oop or he shoots his floater. So Chris Paul sees it, knows it's part of his game, and I mean, was lethal. Well, we knew that, you know, it's been interesting. We've kind of been waiting for this to happen. Right. It's like yep. uh, three, the, the emergence of the three pointer as a as a spacing weapon uh, has changed the way the game is played. It's changed the way defenses are played, because now, uh, you know, all NBA defenses that are worth anything are based around running you off that three point line. They want to run yep. them. They want to run shooters off that line and you will give up the two rather than give up the open three. And so the counter to that revolution has always been who can convert in the mid range at a high level. Chris Paul is, is I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's like in the 97th percentile. I think he's, he's shooting about 50% from mid range. Yeah, and definitely. if you can do that, all of a sudden you have a weapon that NBA defenses are made to give up. Like, they'll give it to you. Yeah. That's yours. You can have that shot. That's the shot they want you to take. And I want to ask you about something. How do you feel about the MVP of the league getting ejected on a flagrant two when the game was tight in a closeout game to end his season? Okay. I thought it was – if it was March – it's absolutely a fair call, and I would have expected it. I was a little surprised in in uh, in a closeout game in the second round of the playoffs. I don't think there's any way in hell that LeBron James gets gets ejected for the exact same thing in the exact same situation. Interesting. That said, you know, I think it was it was a it it was it was a flagrant, and it was ejectable. The windup was there. It was clear that that Jokic was. Uh, upset about not getting a foul call right before that and they were losing and they were losing at home and he got frustrated and he wound up like there was no reason to wind Jason, up Jason there's to that no level. way you think that that's a but that's not a flagrant too I, I mean they had the luxury and this is the thing I always say when it's a sure. bang bang play the rest make a bad call in the game it's like uh, they don't have the luxury of a replay yes yes he wound up yes he hit him above the shoulders flagrant one easy call but she said something very interesting. A lot of people were talking about, is the Joker considered one of those superstars? Because right. if you're one of those superstars, there's no way you get thrown out on your MVP I, I campaign. And so that's that's where the NBA people don't like. They don't like that there's different rules maybe for different people. That's how some, some people feel. It, so that's what was interesting. If that happened in March, you'd be fine with the ejection, right? Yep, yep. Same here. I mean, I wouldn't have thought th- I wouldn't have thought that was a flagrant two though in March. I'm saying I don't I don't even want them to call flagrant ones as easy as they call them. Me personally, mm. like I think that the physicality of the game. I'm not saying we go back to the bad boys days with Bill Lambeer and all of yeah. them and beat each other up. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's okay to have a little physicality in basketball. Let me ask you this: as just a devil's advocate. Now I agree with you. I was I was absolutely shocked when they ejected. Like, yeah, totally shocked. From the ref's perspective, okay, tempers are getting hot. It looks like Denver is, could get swept here. I want to make sure things don't progress from this. Like, I want to stop it right here. Is that a basis for making that call, or do you find some other way to warn the players to Absolutely say, hey, listen, not. I know you're emotional, but let's, let's put a break on it. 
what you do yeah. in that situation is you call a flagrant one and you start calling the game close. You start letting yeah. them know, all right, clean it up. So if somebody wants to come down and it looks like they want to do something and call a quick foul, you call a quick foul on the other end. You let them know we're not doing this. But you don't throw out the MVP of the whole league on a foul like that. I don't care if it wasn't the MVP. You don't throw somebody out on that type of foul. Let's go through it. Do they call that on KD? No. Do they call that on uh, James Harden? They don't. I don't even remember James Harden fouling. He doesn't even. Does he, <laughs> he does any foul? Does he? I don't know. Like I, they would just be you, so shocked that he ever fouled anybody. <laughs> like I mean, I don't know if he's leaned in on defense enough to get that scrappy. So uh, probably not. I would have okay. to say. Um, uh, Rudy Gilbert slash Donovan Mitchell. Do they call it? Ooh. Down that depends. I think yeah. they might call it on Rudy Gobert. I think you know. I think they might call it on a, a Draymond Green. I you know. I, I think, think that would, I think that would be a reputation foul for Draymond Green. Yes, and you know, and and so that's what people were talking about again. The reputation of the Joker is not to be this malicious guy. He even went and apologized afterwards. He went and apologized went right away. Right away, because a flagrant two pretty much by definition means you had intent to harm almost like it's the wind up and it's the intent to cause injury so when they called a flagrant two on the joker he went up to Cameron Payne and was like yo you know I I didn't mean to to do that I will say that when you watch it too he's looking at the ball all the way like he gets them with he gets Cam with his like bicep he's he's trying to smack the ball real hard he hits the ball yeah he's definitely not trying hits the face yes um Trey Young, would they again? Another, I Definitely don't remember not. him fouling anybody except, <laughs> right? for, except for Ben Simmons. Except for Ben recently, try to get that, try to get those shots from the <laughs> oh line, try to get that fifty percent from the line. <laughs> oh my gosh! Don't even bring that up. I played in the WNBA. I was way smaller than a lot of the players I played against, so we have a little free range to get to get a little hit in there every now and then yeah. because the rest is like, oh, that didn't hurt. No, I don't think they call that on Trey for sure. Another question: If Joker seems like sorry right away because he really just kind of walked away and was like, what he there were, he had no reaction to it. He was not like angry, visibly angry or upset, but he definitely walked away. Like nothing happened. There was a brief scrum with him and Devin Booker going chest to chest. That's normal stuff, but he did not seem like upset about it or, or, or looking to apologize in any way. If he had done that, if he had seemed more contrite in the two minutes before uh, the the verdict was announced, do you think he stays in the game? I do. You know, you've seen players that when they yeah. foul hard and they catch the player, like right. if a defender fouls hard, they yeah. kind of catch the offensive player, make sure he doesn't fall yeah. hard. And then even if he does fall, they kind of come over to him like, you good? I do th- think that that has some type of effect I do on too. the ref's psyche about how it happened. I mean, you see it into Draymond Green is one that does that all the time. Yeah, he might commit a hard very foul hard and foul. He'll catch you. Yep, 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 and then he'll catch you. Make sure it doesn't because it's the fall. I mean, you got to give Cameron Payne a lot of credit. He laid on the ground. No, he, he was stayed there. I mean, and not to say I'm sure it did hurt, but I mean, he was on the ground. In pain, visibly. I thought his eyeball popped out. <laughs> like, I, I, I wasn't I, sure I, what like, happened. Yeah, I thought he was going to come up. I thought blood was going to be all over the towels when the <laughs> trainers came over. And then he just kind of got up and walked back to the bench mad. But I think that that has an effect as well. You know, sometimes players lay on the ground until the refs say they're going to review it. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that 
I, I obviously would not have changed the outcome. The, the de- it was a close game, but Denver was trending like they were going to lose. And but I do think that if he would have not just like stepped over Cam and walked away from it, like immediately he immediately gets in a, in, a, in a beef with with Devin Booker right there. But if he would have been like, oh, try to catch him or just put a hand out, like, are you okay? I think that it's a flagrant one. I, I agree with you. Speaking of fouling hard, Steve Nash came out with a statement that said that he thinks some of the fouls on Kevin Durant were borderline not basketballish, something of that nature. And so are we okay, first of all, are you shocked that we are sitting here? You already said it, so I know you are. Two and two, but with the injuries, how does that make this series look to you? I am first of all, I am shocked. If you lose two games, the opening two games of a playoff series. Okay, not that big a deal. You got blown out in the opening two games yeah. of the playoff series. With the second game, they were behind by like almost 50 points, 49 points at one point. It like it looked That's like a complete crazy. rollover. Now, regarding Durant, I here's the thing. First of all, I don't agree with Steve Nash, but I do think that this is a thing he kind of he has to this is a kind of gamesmanship that he just has to do with Harden out, with Kyrie out for we we don't know how long. Um, you're now depending on Kevin Durant, 32 years, years old, coming off an Achilles to be your do everything guy. And yep. I just think you have to find ways to limit the amount of minutes that he plays and the amount of physical burden put on him. And if one of those things is to complain about the refs, about the contact, maybe get him on the line more and slow down the play and like the, put less uh, put less on KD's odometer, I think it's just something you have to do. I don't agree with what Nash is saying, but I think he has to say this. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's kind of like the same where you'll see a coach get a technical in the game and you right. can tell that the coach wanted that technical. He wants He it. was going yeah. after that technical to fire his team up. It's the same way. You got to protect your players, though. And if you, yeah. he knows that Kevin Durant is mad about the fouls, well, you have to protect him. The big three went to the big one in a hurry, though. It went so, real fast. Now with Kevin Durant, we don't know how long for Kyrie Irving, James Harden. We know that hamstring injury has him out for a couple weeks. What are your thoughts like on this series that's tied two to two? I don't know what to think anymore. I think it was clear that the uh, the Nets were cruising to victory in this. Yeah. If it's just going to be KD, I think the Nets are obviously still capable of winning this. But it's going to take a lot from Durant. It's going to take a lot on both ends. And it's going to take someone else being the person who steps up and gets them 20 25 points and is that going to be joe harris is that who has not not been playing well is that me jeff green who who may not play like who who is that going to be that's the question mark because you know as shaky as the bucks looked in in their first two games and they looked bad they look completely out of it not they look completely unlike the team they were in the regular season or even the first round of the of the playoffs they know they're basically whole except for Dante DiVincenzo, and they know what they're going to do. They know yeah. who, where they're getting their points from. They know they how know they want to play. All of that. Uh, the Nets are in uncharted waters at this point, and, and now this is why you get multiple uh, superstars, but when you're down to your last one, it, it, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. What do you think? And then are you a little – I guess I'm not surprised, but are you a little surprised at the, at the almost the glee – that people reacted with 
when the when uh, Kyrie went out and all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, Katie's seeing what it's like now. He's seeing what it's I, like. So to be the- I was just about to say that. So it's interesting because Kevin Durant's knock from the fan base has been, right. oh, he likes joining super teams and he left his team to join the Golden State Warriors and now mm-hmm. he's with another super team with the Brooklyn Nets. I think that this is a huge opportunity for Kevin Durant. Not that he has to prove anything to anyone because we know he's one of the best players to ever play. It's like, it's done deal. We know he's that good. But a lot of people have so much to say about him being a part of the super teams. So... If Kevin Durant can basically carry the Nets for how many ever games that it takes Kyrie to get back, James Harden to get back, I think that that's going to do a lot for KD. Not that he has to do it, not that he needs to do it, but I think that people... I think the knock that fans are saying is they think he doesn't want to do it. so if, Or that he maybe can't do it. He's afraid to do it. So this will be a big time for Kevin Durant because uh, we've seen we've seen LeBron James carry... Some not so great teams really yes. far into the playoffs. We've seen it happen multiple times. So this is a big opportunity, I think, for Katie to just tell everybody, be quiet. I, I agree. And, you know, the injury thing, I think, is important to think about. LeBron, of course, has carried numerous uh, leaky rosters to the finals over the course of his career. He's also been, like, as as close to an Iron Man in his career as yeah, you can get. absolutely. Right? KD coming off an Achilles. Kyrie, I mean, just look at the games played over the course of his career. He always misses games. He's, you know, he it's very rare, you know, like I can't, let me look at it, but he's a guy that has been bedeviled by injuries over the course of his career. James Harden is a guy who, because of the way the Rockets played, yeah, always ends up either out of gas or banged up at the end of the season. That's the reason they all joined together. I think it, it, if anything, the injuries makes Kevin Durant's decision to come here even more defensible. Again, coming off of Achilles and needing that insurance if he's going to get another, get another chance at it. And same with Harden, same with Kyrie. There's two guys, two other guys who have struggled with fitness over the course of their careers. Um, Is it? But it, yeah. I was just, I was like really kind of a, I guess. Nothing in sports really should surprise, but I was a little bit surprised with the way people were like, "Ha ha!" I'm Katie's surprised. The fans shock. The fans have been shocking me this season. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't care. I'm one of the most competitive people. You guys see me on Take Survivor. I take it all serious. You should see me <laughs> playing board games, taboo. It doesn't matter what I'm playing. I'm competitive. But I think there's a fine line in between being competitive and then like you're booing for someone that got hurt. I just I don't I know, see I don't that. I don't like that at all. I don't see that as being competitive. I don't see that as being acceptable. We've seen the fans from New York spit on a Trey Young and throw stuff on on players. Russell Westbrook. I don't one like fan. this. Yeah, it was, it was one it was fan, awful. but it's a lot of different terrible. instances that are happening, and it's like yes, you're the right. fans. I want fans to be like. Super competitive, super into it, but then just don't cross that line. I think that's the thing for me. It's like certain things, like if a player's down and hurt, I think the gym should like have like a, a, a quietness about it, hoping that they're okay. I don't care who it is, the opponent or not. That's just me. But speaking of the fans that spit on Trey Uh-oh. Young, tonight we have a game back in State Farm Arena. As I said, I'll be in the building. Philadelphia stole one. Last game, the same way he stole one. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't like to give up stuff. I say yeah, stole one because until yeah, that yeah, point, yeah, yeah. we had defended home court. We had won like, Absolutely. I don't even know how many games in a row. I think it was like going 14 or 15. Season. Yeah. Yeah. We had, and then going even into New York, you know, we won both of mm-hmm. those games in the playoff at home. So we hadn't really lost a game at home in a in a while. So that's why I call it stealing. But yes, they handled us. They won by a good margin. Oh. I do know that. What has what has Philly done? Obviously, they've they've shifted Ben Simmons. They've asked him to take the responsibility of trying to uh, slow down Trey Young, trying to get the ball out of his hands quicker, trying to keep him from getting it. Tybal has been in there as well. But what have, what have they what have they found from your perspective that's allowed them to kind of uh, blunt the Hawks? extremely sharp and dangerous offense. I think that they're making a lot of our players not named Trey Young playmakers. So a lot of times Trey was the one off the pick and roll, finding the shooter, finding the alley-oop, getting his floater. Well, now they're basically putting a bigger defender on him, which I don't Mm -hmm. think he, I don't necessarily know if that's what slows him down more so than they're making now a red velvet, which is Kevin Herter. They're making John Collins put the ball on the floor. They're making our players make plays when normally they're catching and shooting. Yes, they can come. Yes, Red Velvet can play one-on-one, no problem. But to have to keep doing it over and over and then make a play, that's just not how we've been functioning. Well, like, what do you see? I mean, I, I think it's that, I, I think the bigger body, you know, Zach Lowe talked about this on his recent podcast and it's it's with Kevin Arnovitz. It's not so much that they're stopping Trey, although the Hawks have have shot poorly from three, which is just a thing that happens sometimes. It's that the Hawks have such a beautiful motion offense when when it is going, and it is so tightly timed, like music, you know? But like music, if you can slow down one aspect of the symphony— it all kind of changes. Everything changes. People aren't in the in the perfect spot anymore. Now the defender has an extra beat to close out and everything looks a little bit different. That window gets a little bit smaller. And Trey Young, as a, as a player who is, I think, very generously listed at six foot one, you know, it's all about, his game is all about windows, about creating windows, the way he comes yeah. off a of pick and roll and will stop so that people run into him so that he can create these spaces and, and the way defenders react to that move now so that, 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 that even amplifies the space. If you can just, you don't have to close the window because I think Trey's too good to, you can't shut him off. But if you can close the window a little bit, he is so central to everything the Hawks do that it just throws the symphony off. Now the musicians are leading, are reading from different And we're missing DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter too. Which was really sucked. That's huge. I'm not, like even when we lost him in the regular season, he's our guy that guards the other team's best player. Even if that's a, a post player or a guard. He was our do-it-all, man. We don't have that glue guy. Yes, we didn't have him for a lot of points in the season, but would we be able to handle New York the way we did without him? Absolutely not. So we we don't have the firepower that we did have in that New York series, mm-hmm. but yeah, we got to hear the music play. I want to hear the music play tonight <laughs> in State Farm Arena, okay? You got to do something about Embiid, too. That, he is just feasting. My God, that guy is just... It's, I think he's lying about the cartilage tear too. I think they're lying. I think what? I I don't know. It's like, oh, and Beep may not play. Now all of a sudden he's gonna play game one. <laughs> I think I think they made it up. 
I'll tell you right now. I think that they, I'm telling you right now. He looks really good. I think they're overplaying it because they were acting like, oh, my God, I don't know if he's going to play. Oh, he'll play game one. He's fine. What? They hit us with the old okie doke. Wow. Yeah. Those earthquakes you felt today were the athletics. Tim Cato dropping a report regarding the influence of one Haralbob Volgaris, the director of quantitative research and development, and a former uh, NBA gambler and quant. Uh, the, the story alleges, among other things, that uh, Haralbob basically runs uh, the Mavericks organization going so far as to uh, dictate lineups to coach Rick Carlisle. Uh, Mark Cuban uh, recently came out against the report, which he tweeted was, quote, bullshit. <laughs> Tim Cato, thank you for joining us. How are you feeling uh, today? And tell us about this uh, crazy story that you have written. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's out there. It's, it's been an interesting day. I think that's safe <laughs> to say. Um, love some good front office news. Now, I mean, I've been hearing about this for a while. Yeah. It's, it's not new. Um, I mean, even, even go back, let's, let's talk about their, their playoff series for a second. Like if your star player scores 46 and 14 in a game seven and you're not competitive in the yeah. final minute, that is an indictment on the front office. It is a direct indictment on them. And, you know, I, I was, I was, you know, building up details and, and talking to people and, and had heard a lot even before the series and, you know, a week later was was ready to publish it. Um, but but I think I think this is, you know, a broad indictment on the front office. Um, it focuses, you know, the details obviously focus on Bob. Um, and as I knew they would, um, you know, that it, that is the understandable and correct takeaway. But I think it's also an indictment on on all involved to a degree that front, you know, league sources, league executives were confused about who had power in Dallas, mm. confused who to talk to. Um, weren't sure if if Mark Cuban, you know, was the the person mostly running the team. Um, as a as a source told me in the article, you know, Mark Cuban is the most powerful person in the organization, but whoever he's listening to is second. And over the years, who that second person is uh, is something that's definitely changed over time. And and while also, you know, the power structures there within you know, have mostly stayed the same. Someone like Donnie Nelson has been the general manager for about 16 years. So I think that there certainly is fault all the way around. And it, it just shows in the, in the, in the playoff series. If, if you can't get help around Luca, then yeah, there's a chance he's going to leave. As I reported, it's, you know, not what he's feeling right now, but it's a concern. It's a concern people have. And nobody wants to look back in five years and say, oh, we had Luka Doncic and we messed that up. Nobody wants to do that. And so, I think that's where a lot of the reporting and, and the, mm. the through lines of this story stemmed from. You mentioned uh, uh, Donnie Nelson being there for 16 years. Um, of course, his, his dad was also the coach and was also heavily involved in the front office. I think one of the hallmarks of Mark Cuban's time as owner of the Dallas Mavericks is the really uh, uncommon stability of the core decision makers uh, within the Dallas Mavericks. 16 years is a long time to be in the front office for any sports organization. Um, what does that say about the way that, that, that Mark likes to run things? Right. I mean, you know, in another 13 years for Carlisle, right. um, you know, another person talked about in the piece, it, it does seem like he 
trusts people and hangs on to them and hangs on to them and maybe hangs on to them too much. Uh, you know, I'm the reporter for the story. You know, I certainly didn't have any end game in mind. Uh, it's actually just something I really try not to think about because, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be doing anything I, I you know, that I write or publish, you know, with an endpoint. Uh, it's, it's not why I'm here. But, you know, it, it does, yeah, you know, now that with the story published, with, with the idea of, of everything that's gone down, um, it's, it's definitely a good time to really examine the power structure. And if Bob, you know, was their attempt to change things up and bring in a new voice, and a new voice, to be clear, that I think had some good ideas. I generally think that, if, you know, if, if me and him sat down, we'd probably agree on a lot of stuff about basketball. You know, I do think a spread, pick, and roll, analytics-driven team around Luka makes some sense. That makes a lot of sense. But the way that they implemented this clearly did not work. You know, I, I think the story, you know, I think it's pretty clear from the story that, you know, if, if you have this many people and players and, you know, people around the league are hearing about this and sharing details and, you know, know deeply about everything that has gone on, that points to a front office that, you know, is not cohesive and not operating and does not have synergy and is just not working the way it should. And in another year, that would be a bad thing. When you have Luka Doncic and when the timeline is ticking and as, you know, the, the clock is, is going as a, you know, a, a major, you know, power broker in the league um, said in the story, the Mavericks understand that. And so the time to figure this out is uh, probably two years ago. But, you know, <laughs> the, the time is definitely now. The time is definitely now. You know, there's no more time to waste with, you know, these unclear lines of power and, and you know, who, who actually runs things, who does what. Uh, et cetera. Well, you talk about it, Tim. You know, you said Luca is that star player. Mm-hmm. And in the NBA, we know the importance that those star players hold. Now, with the Mavs getting knocked out in back to back seasons in the first round of the playoffs, how do you think that star player of Luca is handling that? Yeah, I mean, he wants to win, obviously. Um, you know, we didn't report that he is out here trying to flex his influence on the team. And I think that's an important thing to note. I think if he had wanted to, he could have, you know, just not said he was going to sign the extension on, on exit interviews, even if he still planned to. Um, but that said, every decision an NBA team makes when they have a star player like this, it runs through their star player. It's not a Luka thing. It's how the NBA works. You know, you can only put five players on the, on the court at the same time. When you have a, a player of Luka's caliber, you're always thinking about, okay, what, you know, what is he going to want? What is, the, what is the best decisions to make around him? How do we make sure that he is okay with what we're doing mm-hmm. on this team? And so I, I think that's another thing that I've I've come back to, and you know, in the in the process of reporting the story, is that you know he's 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 good right now. You know, he doesn't like that he lost two years in a row, but he's good right now. He wants a winning team. He wants a playoff team. He really likes loves Dirk Nowitzki. Like that that is a huge through line to his time in Dallas. And you know, there's there's a lot of goodwill that this franchise and team and people involved have built up with a player who you know, just seamlessly took the franchise mantle from, you know, Dirk to, to him. And, you know, it's, it's the fear that that could be undone yeah. if things continue the same way that I, I think led to the story uh, coming out and, and being something that I was able to report on. Um, but really something that was always going to be an issue, this, whether reported on or not, it, it really felt like a lot of these issues yeah. were coming to head this summer, no matter what I said, no matter what anybody said. It would have come out from another source or, or another way because it really does like people around the league have an understanding. You mentioned that like how how 
pervasive these kind of like whispers were around the league. And just to show you, I am not like a connected person at all, but like I, I heard from various people who have, who would know things that like part of those whispers are, uh, st- people within the organization blaming Bob on some level for the Chris Stapps Luca rift, if such a thing is is real. You're coming from my job, huh? No, I'm just saying that's the thing that I've heard. Like, is that is if, are people also saying that? Like, is it, we're also in the in the stage of this where it seems like because Bob is so secretive, and who would have guessed that an isolated gambler who made his money on the internet and and uh, doesn't speak or do interviews would have problems communicating? We're also at the stage of this because Bob doesn't give interviews that like you can just like dump everything on him and see and you know he's not going to come back at you but it that is another thing like is that something that you've heard or you know in the course of your reporting do you hear anything about the chris stapps luca rift being ascribed to or being in part bob's fault uh, i i heard people speculate and talk about that yeah I, I don't think it's true um if it is i wasn't you know it wasn't something i was able to report at, at a veracity level that i felt anywhere comfortable running with yeah um Obviously, those two have had issues, um, and there's been some reporting about them. You yep. know that that is out there, and, and does does kind of talk about the the way that that KP viewed viewed himself, or maybe still views himself as the one B star, and, and Luca obviously and accurately doesn't. Um, yeah, I can see how that would cause some tension. Um, perhaps there's more to it. Um, certainly, it's something I'd report if if I got more on it. But you know, it's it, it was surprising as I as I went into the story and reported more. I, I did expect to hear more about KP and. I really didn't. I mean, it's still a huge, huge question for the Mavericks. But, you know, as far as KP goes, I think he's actually, you know, just seeing him in, in post-game interviews and uh, things like that. He's, he's tried really hard to, to be the good soldier, if you will. Um, talked a lot about how he was, you know, okay being the decoy in the first-round series defeat to the Clippers. Um, so, you know, we know what his reputation in New York was. And I haven't seen that. That's, that's all I can say is that I, I haven't seen that reputation of him or his agent brother, you know, trying to stir up stuff behind the scenes. Um, maybe it's out there. Maybe, maybe, you know, somebody else is, is, you know, maybe you're breaking it tomorrow for all yeah. of <laughs> I'm definitely not. Push me out of the job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, weirdly enough, you know, I understand why you would ask that. Um, yeah. I really do because it's something to, to a degree I thought would come up during yeah. the course of the reporting and it didn't. So that's, that's, uh, I found that interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And as a co-owner of another professional team, the Atlanta dream, I find it very fascinating because Bob comes from the world of gambling. Now, do you see that as a potential conflict of interest here or is it an asset seeing where the sports world is going in terms of sports betting? Yeah. I mean, you're right that it's, it's obviously taking over and in a lot of ways, um, a conflict of interest. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I mean, the idea is that he has stopped gambling uh, since joining the team, and there is zero reason for me to report otherwise. I don't have any evidence or anything saying otherwise. I'll leave that up for people to to speculate on. Again, like you know, there's I haven't heard of it being an interest or a, or a conflict of interest. But yeah, the idea that analytics just generally, and the idea that there are people who have a very data driven approach to sports who are increasingly in locker rooms communicating to players. And often, as we've heard about maybe a million times over the past two decades, especially the past decade, they don't, you know, really communicate it well. And and there is Mm. such a value in that go-between who can translate what the stats and the analytics and the modern sports landscapes of of how the sports are being played 
you know, there's a lot of value in people who can translate that. And that was another thing that, that kept coming up is that, you know, Bob wasn't the right person to translate that. And that when he was around players that, you know, they really didn't appreciate the way that he tried to. What is an example if you could give I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated to know what what an example of this is. Oh, oh. If you can, you uh, can, but it's hilarious to me. That's, man, there's one that comes to mind I, I want to share, but I, I just don't think it's fair or, or, the, the or, example you or have vindicated in your story. enough. Right. The example you have in your story is, uh, is a play uh, against, I believe it's the Golden State Warriors, where uh, Luca made a turnover and then Bob seemed to gesture from his courtside seat, and this was interpreted uh, by Luca as Bob telling Luca to calm down or something to that respect right right yeah yeah i mean that's that's a good one i I would say you know bob says it was a miscommunication um or sources say bob says that um i don't have him on the record in in the story Uh, it may have been you know maybe it was an honest mistake the idea specifically about that incident you know it was obviously the lead story or, or the lead anecdote in the story um that was not the beginning of their relationship uh being you know going sour and it wasn't the end of it either so you know, as much as I thought that was demonstrative and, and telling of of what the story was about, you know, it, it's also interesting that you know it wasn't it wasn't just one miscommunication that Luca harbored some grudge on. Like this is, you know, consistently just did not appreciate the the supposed influence of this uh, of, of this person in the front office of Bob, and and other players also kind of viewed that as okay. Rick listens to him, whether Rick is just adapting to to you know save right. his job or whatever the reasoning is behind it. Rick is someone who has these very rigid rotations that are recommended to him um, by Bob, at, at minimum recommended to him. And then he's in a situation, you know, these players are in a situation where they feel like, you know, even the, the person who is entrusted with coaching them, you know, they aren't even sure if, if this person, you know, really has his own, uh, you know, his own say or, or his own, um, you know, complete control of, of dictating things exactly as, as he sees fit. And yeah, that's that's going to lead to issues. I mean, again, I feel like we've talked, we've we've singled out, you know, three or four or five different issues. Yeah. I, I think in this chat, you know, it's not a singular thing. It's not a singular person. Um, and I, I guess, you know, if I had one takeaway from the story that you know I think is worth making that is that is broader than just like, oh, look at this gambler dude. Yeah, it's that there there's a lot of fracturing stuff around the team in in a lot of ways. And this is when you got to fix it. This is when you yeah. got to figure it out because uh, Luca's not going to be around forever if you don't. Yeah. Luca has hinted that he will sign the 200 million uh, Supermax extension. Uh, I mean, obviously, if it comes down to Luca or Bob, <laughs> like it's a, it's a no brainer, correct? Like, I, I feel crazy to even say this. Right. I mean, yeah. Luca, like, like we said, I don't think he's actively wielding his influence. Right. I, I think that would be you know, a, a stretch too far, but the idea that he is not the most powerful person in the organization. Uh, yeah, he is. And so, yeah, you know, you, you make the moves that he sees fit to make. Love that. Just one, one more thing that I'm kind of fascinated about. It's not really a question, just kind of an observation, but like, it seems like the downfall of Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia was in part, uh, you know, politics, but also this kind of perception that he did not explain what he was doing. It wasn't in the media saying, this is why we're, uh, this is why we're doing the process. This is why it's and, and I think you know history has borne out that the process was successful in the way that it was uh, acquiring talent. And I see the same thing kind of happening right now with Bob. Like uh, he's not here to defend himself. He's not on the record in your story. He's not saying anything. 
it it feels like one of the lessons from both of those stories, these very analytically driven people uh, who are valued by organizations but don't want to explain necessarily what they're doing, is that in a highly collaborative environment like a sports front office, you kind of have to have that skill. That's an important skill as pushing numbers around, right? Is saying, here's why I think this and here's why we should do it, I think. Uh, is that accurate? Would you say that that's correct? It, it was definitely, I would definitely say it's accurate that that was an observation, not a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think you're spot on there. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that is a through line that, that we've seen um, consistently is that Front offices have a lot of, you know, they have a lot more accountability in a lot of ways that people, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer that you just have a beat writer writing in a newspaper who will say the name of the GM. Um, it's, it's certainly more, more complicated than that. And, you know, like I said, Bob, Bob was someone who is a public figure, yeah. you know, like I, you know, you know, where, you know, most people on this podcast, most people listening to this probably saw him through Bill Simmons and, yep. and being his appearances on that show. And so, yep. you know, there's also questions. There's also people wondering. There's, there's more, there's more, uh, there's just more curiosity around the league. There's, there's more ability for, for things to, to spread and be talked about and, and shared. And it's kind of the sport we live in, we work in. Yeah. Um, is that a good thing? I don't know. I mean, you can make an argument it's not, but you know that's the NBA. And when you have this much money and, and moneyed interest and competing interest in all these ways, uh, kind of lined up against each other, it is ine- inevitable that you know clashes and, and things like this will happen. Especially if you know the through lines and, and the power structures and the dynamics that are at play, you know, are are just not you know if if they're if they're working against someone and they think they can get an upper hand by by you know kind of pointing out where where things are going wrong, like. That's 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 been happening consistently throughout sports media for a while now. So was that? I mean, that wasn't really a, a question or an but, answer. But it, a, it was it was a I just kind of talked around. Yeah, but I enjoyed I said it. some words. Oh no, it was amazing. <laughs> no, I just I love hearing it because you know I see beat writers all the time. But we're going to let you go. He's Tim Cato of the Athletic. Go check out his article and read his coverage of the Mavs and follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Cato. Tim, thanks for joining us on Take Line. Thanks, guys. Tim, thank you. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
I'm really excited for our guest today. He's a forward for the Sacramento Kings, a former Tar Heel. And not only is he a baller on the court, but he's putting in work off the court, working with organizations like When We All Vote and hosting Instagram series Conversations. Harrison Barnes, welcome to Take Line. Happy to be here. Appreciate y'all letting me on. You're a veteran player. You were hit with a groin injury that ended your season. I watched Shaq on the NBA on TNT talk about the Kings and how you're growing, and that's an organization that's growing. Can you tell us about the growth of the Kings and their approach next season, this season? Yes. I mean, ever since I got to the team uh, a couple years ago, you know, the first thing I noticed was talent. Like, the team had so much talent, um, just young players who are growing and developing. And, you know, we've had some – some bumps and bruises, you know, um, just with inconsistency, injuries, COVID. But for the most part, you know, I feel like a lot of the guys in the locker room want to win. You know, we're growing and developing and kind of taking those those lumps. And, you know, hopefully next year things kind of come together, you know, as we take that next step and be more consistent and make the playoffs. So you said next year they come together. So you see yourself being with the Kings next season. I mean, as, as far as I know, unless you, unless you got a rose <laughs> ball. No, I don't know. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just, you know. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other night we watched Chris Paul um, just destroy the Nuggets uh, from the mid range, which you know in the modern NBA is is the shot that teams would like to take less of. It's based, you know, basically it, it's a shot you don't want to take, especially the long twos. Now, as as a player, how do you view these kind of uh, these more analytics driven notions? Is there is there a divide between uh, like knowing things on the court, having that kind of experience or having somebody from the analytics side say, you guys should do this? Like, how do you balance those two things? Well, I think it's uh, having an understanding of what those analytics means. If you say, okay, a mid range shot is a 35% shot and a corner three is a 42% shot, you know, which one would you take more? But I think what's lost in translation there is one is a pull up, one's a catch and shoot shot. Right. So, mm. I mean, I don't care. I don't care who it is. I, I would always take a catch and shoot three, you know, over anything but a layup. But the reality is, okay, if you're doing a pull up shot, it goes to who the player is. Right. Yeah. A pull up shot for some players may not be as good for others. So for a guy like Chris Paul, who you know that is you know his bread and butter, he can get to that spot, and you know the coverage wasn't changing on him so he was continually able to get that rhythm you know that's a good shot for him no I agree and you see the analytics controlling a lot of the game who's one of those players that are just like the outlier of analytics you know like for instance in the WNBA there's an Angel McCautry where she just it just it doesn't matter what the analytics are that player is always going to be effective (laughs) at whatever they do no matter what team they're on who would you say is one of the players in the NBA that are like that Ooh, I mean, DeMar, uh, DeRozan. Yep. That's exactly um, what I was thinking of. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, CP, you know, guys who, I mean, even KD to a certain extent, um, you know, guys who say, okay, you know, let's only get three, let's only get layups, let's go with space. You know, those guys continue to operate in the mid-range that continue to be effective, you know, buck the trend. You know, all three of those guys are, Honestly, probably leading leading the league. Those are probably the top three guys leading the real league in mid-range shots made. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you master it, you can be efficient at it. How is, so the, there's a story today uh, in The Athletic about um, the influence of Haral Bob Volgaris, who's like an internet 
gambler and analytics quant who has since become uh, the story would allege like the GM of the Mavericks. And part of the story is like how he, he's not great yeah. at communicating his ideas uh, yeah. as analytics become more important, just not even just the NBA across sports, it's football, it's in baseball, it's, it's in every sport now. And the people who come uh, to kind of like develop these uh, analytics departments are often from outside sport, right? They don't have any actual on the court experience, how important is that like ability to communicate these ideas to players? Like it, it feels like a thing that's like simplistic almost to the point that we don't talk about it, but it feels like communication skills for these kind of issues would be paramount. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. I actually met Bob uh, while I was still in Dallas. So I do know who you're talking about. Um, but I think, like I said, the biggest thing is, it goes to communication, right? If you just say, look, you know, we want to shoot three. That doesn't mean that every time you walk across half court, any three you take at that point is a good three. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? There's a difference right. between yeah. a contested three. There's a difference between a three that's taken, you know, with 18 on the shot card. There's a difference between, you know, who is taking the three, right? It's not just a car blanche license for anybody who's on the floor to just, all right, let's just go and start pulling <laughs> up shots. Or, you know, as long as I'm getting to the paint, you know, I can shoot whatever, you know, two, three, four people in there. You know, I can just throw something up and, you know, I'm trying to get to the paint. So I think really having that understanding of saying like, look, this is the principles in which we want to play out of, but the game is not scripted. You know, you have to yeah. go and improvise. You have to go and be able to, you know, adapt and react to, you know, situations that are going on. And not, it's not going to be perfect every single time. You're going to shoot mid-range shots. That's just the reality of the game. But it's how do you get the best quality shot? And I think that's where a lot of times the breakdown of communication between analytics and actual performance happens. Yeah, I agree. And to, to switch gears a little bit, now that we're in the offseason, a lot of athletes are making it known their intentions to seek positive social change, and you're one of those athletes. So what are you doing right now? What are you working on now that relates to positive social change? Man, um, well, education. I mean, like you said, you know, in the intro, like I do a lot of conversations with different people just to understand what their expertise is. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, there's moments, for example, during the pandemic when everyone's in a house where we can focus on one specific thing or we can, there's a big election coming up. We could focus on, mm. you know, what we need to do there. But there's so much that's going on in the interim, you know, talking about voting, for example, um, voter suppression laws are being passed right now and making it more difficult so that when that next big election happens, it's like, wait a minute. Okay, you know. My local representation has changed. Okay, the the state legislation has changed. You yeah. know, I wasn't really paying attention there. You know, I'm just thinking about, you know, what's going to happen in, you know, 2024. And you know, man, things got really difficult. What what happened the last four years? So, you know, that's I think a big area uh, that kind of it's not really sexy, but um, it's, yeah, it's vitally important. You mentioned voting uh, recently. The HR one, the For the People Act. Um, ran into some friction in the in the uh in the personality of one senator joe manchin uh it's a obviously a, an incredibly important act that would uh seek to address a lot of the issues that you just raised in your previous answer but like what what are your thoughts on where the uh the struggle for equitable voting rights stands right now and what else can people be doing to try and push this forward. Well, yeah. I mean, the reason that, you know, voting is difficult is, 
because uh, there are people that benefit off when people don't show up and vote. Yeah. And there's people that benefit off, you know, continually having um, control of a body of legislation where they can pass laws and they can pass um, legislation that makes it difficult for some people, but benefits um, a small majority of people. So I think really the, the hang up just becomes how do you keep that momentum going? When right. people talk about, you know, the protests that happened during the pandemic, they talked about George Floyd. Um, you know, we saw in Atlanta, you know, voter turnout and things that happened there. And it's like, yes, you know, sir. this is great. We saw yeah. it. I know you see it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, that's that's great in the moment. Like, this is like phenomenal. But it's like, how do you build yeah. Yeah. The, the infrastructure to kind of yeah. keep those pipelines going, keep people engaged? You know, hey, you know, this is coming up. Hey, this is going, what's going on. Like, just try to stay in the know. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you, you know, this isn't a sexy topic. Um, it is in the weeds for a lot of people, and I think for people that are not in communities that are directly affected by some of the um, really restrictive laws that are either have been passed or attempting to be passed by various state legislatures, they can check out. How do you rebuild that coalition? Like, do you? Uh, I guess I'm not asking you to solve this, but I kind of am. Like, I because I, I I struggle with it too. Like, how do you? How do you get people to care about this when when a lot of times the way people are programmed to like deal with politics is like according to a presidential election calendar or or a, a congressional election calendar where they just basically check out for large periods of time? Like, how do you how do you get them back? Yeah, there's actually um, an activist who I connected with um, named Philip Agnew. Um, he started an organization called Black Men Build. And mm-hmm. the genesis for that organization was that they needed an infrastructure in place so that not now, but when things happen in the future, you're able to just plug and play. You're able to get information out to people. You're able to organize quickly. You're able to mobilize. And I just use that example as, as one case, but there's so many of those organizations for so many different causes that can happen now, right? In this period, and there's always things going on, but in this period when it's like, okay, there's, there's still a little bit of momentum going and it's going to die down. That's just the reality of it. But how can you set up posts? How can you set up people, organizations, networks, communication channels where it's like, okay, something's going on in Atlanta, boom, Renee can tap into this, boom, she can send it out. Something's going on, um, you know, in California, okay, I can log in, I can go from there. Like whatever it may be, I think that's that next step is how do you, you know, plug in those those networks. Well, you know, you um, you host a series on Instagram called Conversation, where you interview those activists that you talked about, the entrepreneurs and change agents. But I just curious, like we're in the athletic world. And so this is we both kind of jumped into a whole new space. What has that been like to be like, you know, we're athletes, but now we have voices in a whole different realm. Like, what has that been like for you? Because for me, it's been First of all, learning experience. You know, I had to learn myself before I could try to help other people. But what has ha- what has that been like for you? Uh, I mean, first of all, it, it made me a lot more empathetic towards journalists because I realized I'm not a journalist. Yeah. It's not easy, and it's not. I have no des- <laughs> I have no desire to try to be great in that in that regard. Um, but I think it really just it allowed me to see you know a lot of the conversation. How it started really was. I was in the Bay Area and I was talking with a lot of different people, right? A lot of interesting people, technology, venture capital, things like that. Hmm. And so I'm learning all this information and I'm like, you know, it's great that I'm I'm getting it, but I'm sure a lot of other people could benefit from it well, right? You know, just these casual conversations that I'm happening. So 
it started off in written form. You know, I did that with the Players Tribune. Then it kind of shifted to more video um, now on Instagram. But just anytime I'm having these conversations with people, it's like, okay, how can I keep it in more of a casual form, but share this with my audience and share this knowledge that I'm getting? Because there may be somebody who they may listen to an interview and they may take it and they may run and go do something, yep. you know, even bigger than what what I could do or what what they're doing or you know, somebody wants to get involved and it's like, boom, like this is, this is somebody that's doing work. Maybe they're in your area. Look, you can tap in with them. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just the conduit and the platform to try to hopefully, you know, connect some of these people who are doing good work with the, with the different audience. Uh, Harrison, one of your uh, nicknames, you've got several really fantastic nicknames, but I think the Senator is the one that uh, you hear referenced the most. Did you, obviously you're in the thick of your playing career right now. But do you have any aspirations to to move into the political realm at some point? Man, I, I thought you were about to say I'm, I'm over the hill of my no. playing career. You really, you really, you really like you know, you're in the you're thick of it. You know, in the thick like, of it. Yeah. yeah, I was like, okay. Um, now, nah, I mean, you know, we'll see. Um, oh. and that was a nickname that was given to me by Jim Barnett, yeah. uh, which was funny, just because. All, all I simply wore was a suit to my press conference. He's like, oh yeah, you look like a senator. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think there's so much change that can happen in and out of office. Mm. Um, and I think it's just a matter of figuring out which one you can have a, a greater, greater impact with. You know, it's wow. interesting because I can remember in those high school days where you remember the basketball team would dress up on game days. And so you were sure. a suit. They called you the senator. But I'm curious because you were heavily recruited. And one of the people that you were heavily recruited by was Mike Krzyzewski. We know that you already, you chose UNC, but seeing that he announced he's going to retire after next season, what what were your feelings, thoughts towards him? Because he's a staple in not only just sports, but college sports and just hoopers in general. No, I mean, Coach K, he's definitely, you know, he's a legend. Um, you know, he recruited me early on. You know, we had a great relationship. Um, you know, I just thought the thing that was so impressive about him was how all of the guys who we who played for him just had so much respect for him, right? Mm-hmm. Like at that point, it was 2008. So the Olympics had just occurred. So he's, you know, he's got yeah. not only his guys that, you know, played for him, but he's got, you know, the pro guys, you know, coming in, you know, just, just speaking just so highly of him. And I think, you know, all these years later, obviously you look at all the players he's coached, all the coaches that he's sent out um, and done that with, but I think his – his testament really is, you know, the impact that he's had on the guys' lives that have come through there via Duke or USA Basketball. He's Harrison Barnes. Check out his IG series, Conversations. Harrison, yes, thank you for joining Take Line. Uh, but we need you to stick around because we're going to put you in the competition of your life, Take Survivor. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home. 
and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome to Take Survivor, the game where only the strongest take wins. Joining us today, he's an NBA player, nicknamed the Senator. He is Harrison Barnes. Harrison, how are you today? I'm good. I'm ready for the competition. Okay. She is a producer on this podcast. She's having tech issues, but I think they're all smoothed out now. Caroline Rustin. Caroline, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. She is a two-time WNBA champion and the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. She is Renee Montgomery, the co-host of this podcast. Renee, how are you? You're what's good, trying to get a dub. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And he is a producer on this podcast in all caps NBA. He is Zuri Irvin. Zuri, what's up? I'm doing well. Going to steal Renee's dub today. Uh, Write it down. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! Here are the rules of Take Survivor. We're going to play three rounds. Each contestant will give their take according to a prompt that I will ask. And then everybody on this Zoom will vote on the weakest take. We will then cast our votes for the take that will be ejected from the island. So on and so forth until the finals, at which point we will vote for the winner. Is everybody ready? Ready. Let's get it. Yes. First question. What is the best stadium Snack food. Best stadium food. Let's start with you, Zuri. What's the best stadium food? Best stadium food. I'm going to go with chili cheese Fritos. Shout out to Culver City Little League, Bill Botts Field. Chili cheese Fritos. Um, if you add jalapenos, we hit every major food group for about $3. You don't need a bowl, so it's inherently good for Mother Nature. And it's, it's a dish that seems like it was made on accident. So it's near and dear to my heart. Chili cheese Fritos, $3 at a Little League near you. Chili cheese Fritos, $3. That sounds like an actually illegal price. I don't think I've seen a food cost $3 in a number of years. I'm heading there right now. Renee, what is the best stadium food? Oh, this is easy. The best stadium food is barbecue chicken. And what I mean by that is somebody that's going to get crossed and fall. You already know the crowd is going to go crazy. <laughs> it's going to be clips all over the Internet. The fans love to replay it, reshare it, make it a meme, make it a gift. Of course, it's barbecue chicken. Then you might be on the NBA on TNT and have yeah. Shaq, Charles, Kenny, and all of them talk about that snack that happened at the game. Barbecue chicken. Easy answer here. Come on now. Ray Montgomery. Taking it metaphorical, and in the voice of Shaq, that's the only way I hear it. I hear barbecue chicken. <laughs> Caroline, what's the best stadium snack food? Okay, so a game calls for a special occasion, and a special occasion <laughs> calls for a very specific special food. Cotton candy, baby. Oh my Cotton God. candy is the most elite snack at any stadium. Why? Because it's fucking impossible to get. You need to go to a concession stand. Never there. You have to rely on those like concession dudes walking around and they are hard to get their attention. It is very hard to get their attention. And when you get that cotton candy, oh my God, it is the most fun 
cool snack to eat. And now we're in this Instagram world. It's a very Instagrammable food, and it's really fun. Uh, Caroline Reston, a full-grown woman, says cotton candy is the best stadium food. Harrison Barnes, to you, what is the best stadium snack food? I mean, for me, I'm not saying it because I'm on this podcast, but it's for sure the Chick Fil A sandwiches that stay from the day. I don't know, I don't know why they what they do to them, but it's better than any one that you get outside of the arena. I don't know if the headquarters there or whatever, but if you want a sandwich, that's the best one in the NBA. Barnes. Harrison Barnes is the State Farm Arena Chick Fil A. I had a very similar experience with Popeyes in New Orleans. For some reason, it's just better in the city. So yeah. it's a it's a weird thing. We will now move to the voting segment. Please cast your votes. You can vote in the chat for this Zoom. Who will be ejected from the island? Will it be Zuri Irvin, who says chili cheese Fritos it contains every food group right there at the top of the food pyramid? It's chili cheese Fritos. Will it be Renee Montgomery, who took it metaphorical and said barbecue chicken? When you get crossed up, you go for that hezzy and you fall down. What's that smell? That smell is barbecue chicken, folks. Will it be Caroline Reston, a full-grown woman who says cotton candy is the absolute best thing that you could have in a stadium? And I know for a fact elsewhere, just like in your daily life, cotton candy. Or will it be Harrison Barnes? The Chick-fil-A <laughs> in the State Farm Arena votes are coming in now. And let's check out the totals. Tabulation machines are working overtime. Thanks to our good friends at uh, at Deloitte for uh, for tabulating <laughs> the votes for us. It's a little slow, but this is the way democracy works, people. It works slowly, but it works accurately, and it's the best way to do it. Here we go. We have one vote for Caroline. We have one vote for Renee. One vote for Zuri. Another vote for Zuri. Two votes for Zuri. One vote for Caroline. One vote for Renee. Another vote for Caroline. It is now 2 2 Zuri Caroline. Another vote for Caroline. 3 2 Caroline. And finally, our first ejectee from the island, Caroline Reston. Four votes against Caroline. What do you have to say in defense of yourself and cotton candy? Wow. I don't really have anything to say <laughs> other than I'm sorry you guys can't experience the joy of okay. sugar melting in your mouth. That's really your loss. <laughs> Round two. Man, I felt like she was set up with the with the grown woman eats cotton candy. I felt like she was yeah, set up. This is rigged. This is rigged. Fine, we already have me, an blame me, but this. a lot of people voted. That's the way democracy works, folks. We went negative. Did we go negative a little bit? Okay, we did kind of. Round two. Here's our question, Harrison Barnes. We'll start with you. Which celeb do you wish could have shown up to your high school basketball game? This is in reference to, of course, Drake showing up to Bronny's recent basketball game. What celeb do you wish would have shown up at your high school slash AAU games, Harrison? Oh, Denzel Washington, for sure. Oh, that would have been awesome. I mean, he was Laker royalty. You know, I, I have cable, so I always always watch the Lakers. He'd always get the court side game with the Lakers. Plus, he got game with one of my favorite movies, too. So, for sure, him. Denzel Washington, Harrison Barnes with Denzel Washington. You really can't go wrong with it. Renee, what celeb do you wish had shown up to your high school basketball games? 
Oh my gosh. Issa Rae, come through. What are you doing? I would have been an insecure then. We would have been besties. I would have been acting right alongside of her and doing and singing her little skits. She could have sang Broken P at halftime. She could have performed. Oh my gosh. Issa Rae, still come to the games now. You're invited. (sighs) Pitch your role on Insecure. Oh, I want to be the other bestie that's opposite of Molly, that I'm the wild friend that's going to get it popping, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, And finally, Zuri, what celeb do you wish would have shown up to your high school basketball games? Uh, I'm going to say in the Drake world. I graduated high school in 2008. The Carter Three came out in June of that year. Mm. I'm going to go Lil Wayne. This is before he campaigned for Donald Trump, so your heart can be at ease. Ah. If he shows <laughs> also, maybe you get a pep rally at halftime. Maybe you get a show. Maybe you get a concert. And I'm a small guy. I figure me and Lil Wayne will just be in the stands contemplating why we're too short to play basketball. And uh, maybe I get a friend out of the experience. So I'll go Lil Wayne. Incredible <laughs> answer. The Carter Three, Lil Wayne... Let's go to the voting, folks. Listen, again, democracy uh, democracy is messy, but it is vital to the way that this country operates and our values. Who will be ejected from the island today? Will it be Harrison Barnes? He says Denzel Washington should have come to his games. Can't go wrong with it. Will it be Renee Montgomery? Says Issa Rae should have come to her games. And not only that, she would have pitched her on a, on a role for herself as the other bestie, <laughs> the wild one. For the show that she would go on to make Insecure. Or will it be Zuri Irvin who says Lil Wayne, the Carter Three era Lil Wayne, should be the person who attended his high school basketball games. Votes are coming in now. Let's take a look at them. We have one vote for Renee. One vote for Zuri. We have two votes for Zuri. Another vote for Renee. It is now 2 2. One vote for Zuri. Wow. And our second person ejected from the island, Zuri Irvin, who said Lil Wayne should have come to his basketball game. Zuri, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you guys are all heightest. You know, you're against this. Then <laughs> <laughs> definitely not me. Shout out to a short king. Um, <laughs> it's, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I'm going to eat some chili cheese Fritos and uh, I'll get out of here. Thanks for playing. Oh, it is a star-studded finals. And don't you dare say this was rigged, everybody listening at home. It is not. No elections are rigged. Renee Montgomery, the two-time WNBA champion versus Harrison Barnes, a champion himself. Here is our final question. What is the worst airport, and we'll take... America or overseas? What is the worst airport? Renee, worst airport. Okay, so I'm going to treat this like Eminem on the 8 Mile, and I'm just going to make fun of myself before someone else can make fun of it. The West Virginia airport is just not the best, people. I get it. We only have four gates. There's only one place to eat. You get one option for basically everything. But I'm just going to twist it, and I'm going to own it. It might be the worst to you guys, but hey, I love it. It's mine. Another thing is, I can arrive to the airport really late and still make my flight. Can your airport do that? West Virginia, just for gates. <laughs> Take me home. My flight's delayed. Harrison Barnes, what's the worst airport? U.S. or international? It'll be U.S. Uh, I love this city, but I got to say DFW. There's Ooh. always a connection through there. 
and it is always delayed. I don't know why it is, but it's, I can guarantee, no matter where I'm, because I'm from Iowa, so to get back there, I always got to go through DFW, and I'm always delayed. Dallas-Fort Worth, take that. Let's go to the voting, folks. A reminder, we are voting for the winner. Voting for the winner here. And our contestants are excluded from the voting. This is going only to the jury who will vote either for Harrison Barnes is the winner. He says Dallas-Fort Worth, a DFW airport. It's serving two cities. How can you serve two cities at once? It's a a question. (laughs) Also, it's so hot there and flat. I can never find anything. Or will it be Renee who says West Virginia has only four gates. They don't go anywhere. Uh, No one ever flies through there. Who will it be? Who is our winner today of this star-studded and really incredible episode of Take Survivor? Here come the votes now. Come on, people. You have not been to the West Virginia airport. I know that. It's the worst. I know you guys have been through DFW, though. I know that. Uh, Here come the votes right now. Man. Oh, my gosh. We have one vote for Renee as winner. We have two votes for Renee to win Take Survivor. We have one vote for Harrison Barnes to win Take Survivors. 2-1. Another vote for Harrison Barnes. We have a 2-2 tie final vote coming in for our winner, the Senator Harrison Barnes. Harrison, what do you have to say? This is my fight. Wow. I mean, just to win an election like this, certified by the Lloyd, I mean, it's just unreal. So, I mean, just, you know, thank you to the jury. You know, you guys, you know, just a, it's a smart group. And to the two that voted against him, that's just, that's wild. And that's it for a truly amazing episode of Take Survivor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Harrison Barnes. See you next time. I don't even have to tell you. I know you know what that sound means. It's time for Buzzer Beaters, baby, where we cover the stories we didn't get to talk about on the show. Jason, what you got up for us? I'm going to talk about a, a little uh, indie show on a very indie, like a very indie, it's like an arts channel. It's called Disney Plus. You might not have heard of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's this uh, the show uh, called Loki. It's this really interesting character. Anyway, it made its debut uh, last week on Disney Plus, and I watched it uh, last week, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's really cool. Uh, it's really cool to think about the fact that Loki – as a character has existed in like human storytelling since maybe the year like 850. That's just like a phenomenally cool thing that this character has existed in stories that have been told through the oral tradition that have been like carved into rock that have been uh, told through books and now uh, comic books and now movies. Uh, And the show is really great created by Michael Waldron for television, former Rick and Morty, former community uh, writer. And it's just super fun. It looks great. Great performances by Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. And I'm really enjoying it. I love that. I'm going to have to watch that with my son. And for me, the WNBA, there's a lot of buzz going on right now because the WNBA announced our all-star game is going to be in Vegas, baby. What better place to have an all-star game than Vegas? So I love the location. It'll be on July 14th. AT&T is the sponsor. But what's exciting about that is 
there were some concerns about, are we going to have an all-star game? Are we not? It's a pandemic year. It's an Olympic year. How is it going to work? Well, we're having one. It's in Vegas, and your girl is going to be in the building, baby. Woo! <laughs> That's it for us. Follow and subscribe. I'm going to have to go out there. I'm going to go out there and like Come hit, through, the, hit the tables. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode. Yep. Plus my digital series, all caps, which is every Friday. Check it yes, out. sir. Let's go. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.